Juice Sessions from Mishkondorea, hosted by Hayley Geffen. A conversation on key legal matters that affect you and your business. The New Sessions Podcast with Hayley Geffen. Hi, I'm Hayley Geffen, Head of Communications at Mishkondorea, and you're listening to The New Sessions, where we look at key areas of law that are hitting the headlines, Today, we're talking about social media, pretty broad topic, but we're focusing on regulation of social media and what we can all do to protect ourselves online. Here with me today is Emma Woolcott, head of our reputation protection department and reputation lawyer, Alexandra Whiston-Jew. So, social media. I think that anybody reading the news, whether you're an individual, a concerned parent, someone in a business, you think, oh my gosh, this is the Wild West. There are no rules. This is a nightmare. People are looking for law. Emma, is there law when it comes to social media? Yes, there are a plethora of laws and regulations that apply to social media. The tricky thing is that social media applies across various jurisdictions and in such a broad range of situations that it's about trying to work out which rules apply in which situations. Social media companies themselves have uh, their own terms and conditions and their own user rules. So in, in effect, they get to write their own rule book, but also act as judge and jury. That's potentially the issue, and that is why in April the government uh, published an online harms white paper setting out an ambitious vision for improving online safety and trying to provide a new regulatory framework to tackle a broad range of online harms. So, Alex, we think the problem is there's too many rules that don't all speak to each other? That's part of it. I also think that it's really difficult for both sides, um, users and the um, social media platforms themselves, to work out what to apply and when. And to draw that line, as Emma was saying, as judge and jury, between freedom of expression, which obviously they want to cultivate on their platforms and it's what their users go to their platforms for, and also looking after their users and dealing with what is unlawful but also what is um, content that isn't appropriate on a platform for their various users. So, for example, abusive content or something that is um, not appropriate for the particular age range of their audience, for example. They're in a very difficult position because we're asking commercial businesses to make quite sophisticated judgment calls about what's harmful, what's lawful, what's unlawful. If you were concerned about a newspaper article being defamatory, you'd sue in defamation, you'd go to a, a, you know, you'd issue proceedings. The decisions around what the meaning of defamatory content would be would be determined by judges, um, and that there's a passage of time. Social media um, terms, everything happens really quickly. We expect social media platforms to act on and respond to complaints in real time. And so the onus is on platforms to... Um, have appropriate um, abuse channels to respond to complaints really quickly, but to make judgment calls around not just what's unlawful, but what's harmful. And there's no universal definition of what can cause harm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And what is also interesting is what is deemed to be harmful offline, is it the same as what is deemed harmful online? That kind of cultural relativism or cultural palatability of what is acceptable changes and shifts. So um, we look for certainty in our law, but do we actually need something which is more fluid when we're dealing with fast-paced cultural developments online and in the media and in, in the schoolroom? 
Do you think that some social media companies, when faced with the challenges we're discussing, are saying it's not our problem? Or are they prepared to accept that some responsibility does sit at their door? We're talking about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. They want a bit of both worlds. Social media platforms have had to um, accept that they're responsible and that with this great power comes great responsibility. Traditionally, they've been defined in law as hosts of content rather than publishers of content because they are the notice board um, to which notices are pinned rather than being the authors of them. But they appreciate that they have the ability to unplug, to deactivate, to close accounts. Um, And so they... There has traditionally been a reluctance to be actively involved in the policing of what happens on platforms. But over time, the platforms have had to accept that it's in their interests to make sure that the harmful content isn't hosted by them. And actually, there's been a shift, I think, in the last couple of years of of that uh, responsibility being taken seriously because users have become more concerned about how their data is being shared, how responsive the platforms are to reports of abuse. So, Emma, what kind of advice would you give to clients to protect themselves online? I think it pays for everyone to be quite mindful about what they share and the mess and the information that they hold dear and the and the impression they want to leave online. And I think that sometimes the tone of conversations makes people you know put their guard down and they say things in the heat of the moment that they wouldn't if they were facing a real human being or realizing that they were leaving kind of an indelible mark on their reputation forever. Um, And so before something kicks off, the advice tends to be be mindful about what you're putting on social media, what sort of stories you're engaging in, the images you're sharing, the information you're sharing, um, and and try and switch around to the worst case scenario and, and avoid it happening. When tricky situations blow up and the mob starts to circulate and stories get quite heated, advice tends to be to listen and to react decisively rather than just to react and to be sure to make sure that if there's concerning harmful content, you report it promptly, that you think about the channels on which you're you're providing information. I think that often there's a, a misunderstanding that the internet is the world west and social media companies won't respond to um, to concerns. Actually, we managed to get Twitter accounts deactivated quite quickly. Facebook can be very responsive when we need to shut down discussions. They tend to respond much more swiftly if they understand that there are breaches of their own terms um, and conditions taking uh, place, or if actually the content is criminal. What's also, I think, overlooked and, and often not appreciated is that these social media platforms harvest quite a lot of data about their users. And so a client who has had uh, confidential data uh, misused or has been attacked or bullied online um, is, is, if they act quickly enough, able to go to social media platforms and through the court apply for disclosure of information that can help them track down their attackers. So it sounds like from what you're saying that when it comes to abuse and online hate, potentially the companies can be a bit fleet-footed in dealing with that. When we're talking about fake news, is that still the case or is that much murkier water? The difficulty with fake news is um, you've got to demonstrate that it's false um, and and the harm in it being circulated. I think that um, you know most readers know that a lot of what they read online is not as credible as what they read in the broadsheets. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, fake news circulates and gets... Um, and is and is sometimes relied on and sometimes um, 
damaging, but often is dismissed. And I think the real challenge is being able to quickly articulate not only that something is false, but also that it is, is going to cause you know, exponential damage if left uh, left circulating. So um, the social media platforms are, are already dealing with damaging false stories, uh, but um, understandably, in most cases, they require evidence that what's being peddled is false and they often need convincing that it's their problem and something to, um, that they should deal with. I think you can't um, lose sight of the fact that social media platforms are businesses and they make money out of tracing lines of argument or um, trends, for example, online and people being able to access content that they want to read. So being able to funnel that content to those individuals um, in a way that they will keep clicking on um, various links or images or articles is something that, that we have to recognise makes their money. And this is where the amplification of false stories or the channeling of um, biased or um, extreme views to individuals who then get um, funneled towards a different viewpoint is something that um, parents or lawmakers or we as lawyers get worried about because um, it's very hard to challenge that and the algorithms that are very carefully and cleverly um, devised by social media platforms are deployed in the way to enhance that experience. So although I agree that it is um, difficult for the social media platforms to address fake news or the disproportionate um, focus on bad news or good news and and creating that bias or echo chamber, they also have to recognise that they are making money out of that commercial focus and it's it's something that they then have to be accountable for if it's if it's creating a disproportionate effect on on their user base so lots of reports are circulating that people are actually leaving these platforms in droves i think facebook particularly um and maybe that's because they're reading the terms and conditions and thinking actually no i'm, I'm not prepared to opt into that but are there other reasons people are leaving I suspect that of the quarter of the planet that are on Facebook, very few of them have read the terms and conditions. I doubt that's the reason they're leaving. There's research that suggests that women and non-white people are um, harassed on social media disproportionately and extremely. In fact, I think Amnesty International said that a woman is harassed on Twitter every five seconds or something awful, a terrible stat. I'm concerned that because social media platforms have to police abusive content and they do focus first on racist, homophobic content, stuff that's easier to filter out in terms of the language. There's studies that suggest that a lot of the people who are leaving social media are female and people of colour because they have found it an uncomfortable and harmful place to be. And I hope that there will be an increased focus on social media companies and platforms in the next little while to really focus on those issues and what they can be doing to react more positively and constructively to reports of abuse so that rather than coming off social media, women are empowered to engage, empowered to to be part of those conversations and stay on social media, but know that when they feel uncomfortable, that the the, the abuse that they report will be understood and, and, and taken seriously. 
Facebook have been quite responsive to changing the, the definitions and the things that they understand as abusive. For a while, I think that they there were certain things they classified as being patriotic that were actually neo-Nazi, and they they reflected on the terms that were banned and the and the discussions that they they deemed and, and considered to be harmful, and they. And they, they they came forward and said, actually, no, we've had a real look at this and we've closed a load of accounts and we think, actually, we don't want to be a platform that's hosting this sort of material. There's a, a, a wealth of evidence that suggests that women are being um, abused online and are coming off social media because they just you know, feel like they don't want to be in it anymore. And I think that that's, you know, that... That abuse seeks into kind of the female psyche early. And if it's if it's dissuading women from... Uh, taking positions, stretching out, putting their head above the parapet, then that's damaging more generally. And it's a big ask of social media companies. I understand that. But um, I think you know, some focus on how you protect not just minorities, but the half the population who are being focused on in social media would be a really positive, perhaps ambitious, but why not focus for these these discussions? So you've both used the phrases lawful, harmful. I mean, there's got to be situations, I'd imagine, where something is not lawful and it's harmful but sometimes is it harmful but actually there aren't laws being broken and if so how do you deal with that that's absolutely right and there's been recent media um attention on various different issues relating to that and it's also very present in the um online harms white paper um one issue that um, we're discussing in the office is around um, the anti-vaccination campaigns and how harmful they can be and how it can have such a, a detrimental effect on communities, but also how important it is for people to be able to choose what's right for their children, um, read and research what they want to in terms of um, how they're going to parent and also um, be clear about what's what's real news and what's fake news in, in that debate. And that's something that's that's particularly interesting, um, but also potentially harmful, um, but lawful. And um, if you look at um, platforms like Mumsnet, how are those uh, moderators of those um, sets of, um, of those conversations going to be able to draw a line when the guidance um, is not able to give clarity on what is harmful to that extent. So we look to um, the terms and conditions of each of the social media platforms when um, the laws don't go as far as as dealing with that kind of harmful content. Um, And when a new regulator is established, if they are going to deal with content which is not just unlawful but harmful also, then they need to bring that clarity in terms of how the users are going to be able to complain or assert their rights. So we've talked in broad terms about lawmakers, regulators. Who is actually the regulator when it comes to this stuff? At the moment, no specific regulator. So depending on the content and how it's broadcast and how it's published, how it's disseminated, different different regulations apply and different laws apply. So the proposal of the government in this online harms white paper is to create a new regulatory framework to tackle all these harms, to set up 
potentially a new regulator or to establish a more joined up system of self-regulation. Now, that if they have a new regulator, the social media regulator will have a kind of suite of powers to try and take action about companies against the, the platforms that don't adhere to the, the kind of common set of rules and ethics that they sign up to. The carrot in that is that then social media companies have an input in knowing, in agreeing the rules and know what's expected of them and users are uh, potentially more able to know what they can expect of the platforms in terms of dealing with abuse. The stick is that the social media companies who sign up to be regulated are then subjected to substantial fines if they don't adhere to the rules. And I think you know, these are commercial businesses. They they care about their reputations. They care about traffic and clicks and you and the things. They also care about the, the profit and 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 the bottom line. And the threat of substantial fines is going to be persuasive. The ICO after GDPR came in. One of the biggest drivers of one of the, the biggest um, ways of pushing compliance within businesses was this threat of, of substantial um, fines that can be you know, a percentage of turnover. So um, not something that even the biggest companies want to ignore. That but, said, you mentioned um, within that those businesses that agree to be regulated. Is that, are we talking about you have to opt in or opt out, in which case... How, how much impact can a regulator have if you're deciding whether to be regulated or not? It may very well be that users who are becoming more and more mindful of online harm and fake news and and this this is an issue, that they, they walk with their feet and they choose to um, participate only on the platforms that they know have signed up to treat them properly if they're abused. I think that it's become a commercial imperative to these the social media platforms and, that, and that's why I think that they are um, wanting to be part of drafting the rules and signing up to the rules. Yeah, and to get that kite mark that says, look, here is a safe place for you to interact with each other, for your children to use, you don't have to worry because we've got that tick, verified tick even. Yes, mm-hmm. and they're not they're not just signing up potentially to big fines when they when they say that they will join or participate in a regulator they're also potentially signing up to um, personal liability for senior management and that's something that's been bandied about not only in the online harms paper but also in the media um, globally as to whether um, senior founders or senior management of these social media platforms will be personally responsible for breaches of their duty of care or um, breaches of um, regulations or legislation. And they can see this happening. So after the Christchurch shootings in New Zealand, Australia passed a new uh, law, the Sharing of Abhorrent Violent Material Act, which introduced criminal um, penalties to um, um, social media companies, which can include possible jail sentences for executives executives, and up to 10% of global turnover as a fine. So this is these are these are the penalties that that social media platforms are seeing in different jurisdictions, um, and I suspect will be wanting to um, avoid in Europe. The the downside of making the penalties so severe is that you might cause social media platforms to migrate from certain jurisdictions. And that obviously affects the users and also the global nature of the internet and and social media platforms, which is so cherished by quite a lot of us. Um, You've seen that sometimes, um, for example, um, there are various options that are switched on and off 
in social media platforms or, for example, with Google listings, for example, in Spain. And that is um, something that really impacts the end user and should be part of the um, decision-making process when you're looking at legislation or regulation. So a lot of us, I think, around here didn't grow up with social media. It was something that came of age when we had come of age. Um, what do we, how do we talk to our children about this? I think it's really interesting, this question, and something you hear um, from parents all the time. And um, we at Mishcon do a lot of pro bono work with legal advice centres who have parents um, who are asking how to educate their children about uh, these things, but also um, understanding about the importance of going into schools and educating children about how social platform or social media platforms work, what information they um, gather, what who can see what, and why it's important um, that you understand the repercussions of your a actions, not only in the playground but also um, online. And um, that education piece is something that's part of the online white um, harms white paper, but also is um, uh, is is a story that is really important to be heard at at school and I think that there has been a huge development um, in terms of the information that has been provided to children and how how they know how to protect themselves online but also there is a slight um, contradiction with them finding themselves um, trying out new ways of um, being themselves and accessing information and um, new areas where they can they can learn about what it is to be part of a, a global community, which is something that parents might be scared of, but still is an amazing thing about being online. So we've talked about grown-ups, we've talked about children. Um, we haven't talked much about businesses and whether you know, with all of this talk of harms and what's lawful and people might come after you, should businesses be avoiding social media or learning how to grapple with it in their own way? The latter. Social media's not going anywhere. It's increasingly where people are receiving their news. Uh, uh, there, there, there are shifts over time in terms of what's in favour. But this is now how, you know, the next generations are, are, are interacting, are receiving news, are learning about products, are buying products. Um, and so brands do need to be understanding social media, understanding how to present the best version of themselves on social media, understanding how to um, react when things go badly, um, and how to uh, close down conversations that are harmful um, and um, to take some conversations offline, um, how to deal with you know, IP abuses and copycat stories, fake news, and the, the the main advice to brands and to business owners is to try and crisis plan, think through things, be ahead, and practice. Um, in the in, in the bad old days, the good old days, um, when there was a, a story or an issue affecting a business, there would be one story. Um, and now the way that businesses deal with crisis situations um, becomes story two, three, four. Um, and if those who are monitoring social media accounts for, bus for businesses aren't um, uh, mindful of how they they're perceived, don't get the right tone. That often becomes the subject of a second, of a second, third, fourth story. Um, but some brands have done really well out of um, uh, tricky issues on social media, and they've owned them and they've turned them around. Um, but those who are caught unaware 
or, or, or who handle situations badly um, end up getting kind of two doses of egg on their face. Um, and so um, social media is, is here to stay. Um, the, there is a growing trend, I think, in the public to feel like they can jump into any debate and have their say um, and um, can complain visibly on social media and know that that's actually the Achilles heel and that's what brands are um, concerned about and that's the quickest way of getting a complaint heard and dealt with. Um, and so I think the only way that um, businesses who uh, who prize themselves on their profile w- will continue to thrive is to be ever more mindful of their reputations, their brand, how they curate it, how they where they place it, where they where they um, uh, uh, who they speak to, and and how they police attacks on their brand. And also, as you mentioned, there are opportunities there. And Alex, you talked uh, a lot about the positives of being on social media. Of course, we know about the negatives. But I think what we're perhaps talking about when we're talking about businesses is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, but take responsibility for what you're publishing. Um, and make sure that the people who are publishing for you um, are serious people who are careful about what they say and in the right voice for your brand. People mistake corporate social media platforms for their own social media platforms and it's important to recognize that being the voice of a brand is a serious and important role and not to confuse it with what you might write on a Saturday night. I think as Alex was saying brands need to be um, increasingly aware of the responsibility of those who are engaging on social media on their on their behalf it's the shop front and so they need to have clear policies about who can say what and when um, clear training about how those who are managing social media um, accounts respond when they need to escalate when they need to slow conversations down and actually planning through different scenarios is and it allows those who are controlling social media pl- um, um, channels for brands to be more confident in the moment, to be more natural, more authentic. And that, you know, I think that, you know, the brands that do well in the crisis are those that have practised. Well, we could talk for hours, but we won't. Lots to think about. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Alexandra. I'm Hayley Geffen, and you've been listening to The New Sessions. The New Sessions, in partnership with Mishkan de Raya. Find more of the new Sessions podcasts dealing with key legal matters on iTunes. The new Sessions is a Jazz FM production for Mishkan Dorea.